0: You're listening to audio from the West End Community Church in McGregor, Manitoba. It's good to see you here this morning. If you, uh, last night we had a, a kind of a film night here. We, we showed the, uh, uh, it's kind of like a documentary, just some different stories or whatever. It's called Show Me the Father and uh, we had a number of people here and uh, if you missed it, shame on you uh no, if you missed it, uh then just you know we're gonna try to to get a copy of that d v d and put it in the church library and uh i am just gonna say it, it's worth it uh, and you can talk to the people who are here um they they said it was good and i'm not i'm not lying here. it was really, really good, and uh i think uh I think everybody should just kind of see it it just uh, it 's about parenting it 's about fatherhood um, it 's about family it 's about love and uh, it 's guaranteed to make you kind of tear up a little bit and am i am i doing that that 's kind of annoying uh, well we 'll just keep keep an eye on it Well, it is good to be here this morning and it 's good that we can open up the word of God and we come this morning to time I move, uh, man. All right, we'll see how it goes. Maybe we'll go back to the pulpit. I don't know. Uh, About 18 years ago, more or less, we uh, came to church, and uh, we went home from church, and uh, as was our habit back then, we asked the kids How their Sunday school class was, what they talked about. Well, when we got to Benny, uh, we asked him, How was Sunday school? And what was your story about? And so Benny said, Well, a bunch of people went on a picnic. And uh, if you can believe it, there was so much food. that was left over that they all had to clean up. <laughs> and we I think we quizzed them a little more. I can't remember all that I just remember the the, the quote. Which Claudette reminded me about it yesterday. And it it was very clear to me that Benny was more focused on the work that had to be done after the picnic than he was about the fact that there were a whole bunch of people that were fed by just a small, very tiny amount of food. And, uh, I was, I was struggling yesterday about, you know, just kind of finding a way to open up this sermon on John chapter six. And Claudette reminded me about this story about Benny. And, uh, It just got me thinking that we are so often more focused on the things that surround our relationship with the Lord Jesus than we are about Jesus himself. Um, You remember a number of years ago when we talked about... Um, well we talked about discipleship and we we mainly focused on the things in luke and and uh i i gave you a quote by a guy by the name of rick reed who said something to this effect he said um when we talk about our relationship with the lord jesus christ when we talk about our salvation when we talk, we, we talk more about the benefits and the blessings than we do about the cost. And we would never walk into a store and, and hear all the attributes of, of what we want to buy without understanding what it is going to cost us. And to a certain extent, maybe not even to a certain extent, it's the same thing with with following Jesus. I mean, yes, we know that there are benefits. We know that there are blessings. We know that there are encouragements and, and all those sorts of things. But there is a big, a, a vast, a large cost in following Jesus. And we rarely talk about that. Uh, I read a book called uh, Not a Fan once, and it's by a guy by the name of Kyle Eidelman. And uh, he's a pastor, and it's a fantastic book. I'm just going to recommend that for you. If you're in a bookstore and you see Not a Fan by Kyle Eidelman, take a look at it because it's great. But he said this in the introduction to his book. He He kind of centered his book around John chapter 6, and he says... Too often in my preaching, I have tried to talk people into following Jesus. I have wanted to make following him as appealing, comfortable, and convenient as possible. And I want to say that I'm sorry. I know it's strange to start off a book with an apology, but I want you to know that that the journey I'm inviting you on is one that I've been traveling, and it is a journey that I continue to be on, and I should tell you, it hasn't been easy. It is more comfortable to be part of the crowd. And I know typically you put something in the introduction to a book that makes people want to read it. You have a celebrity write something or you have someone else write it so that this person can tell you all the readers how great the writer is. At the very least, the author should write something in the introduction of a book that makes people want to read it. I'm not sure if I've done that. My guess is an apology from a man who got it wrong for a long time doesn't exactly inspire confidence, but I want to be clear that this book is not just information on a page or a pastor's commentary on the scriptures. This book is written by one of those in the crowd in John chapter 6 who thought Jesus was great but was really only in it for the free meals. I hope that you will read this book and discover with me what it really means to follow Jesus. I will talk more about repentance than forgiveness. I will talk more about surrender than salvation. I will talk more about brokenness than happiness. And more about death than about life. The truth is, if you are looking for a book about following Jesus that lays out a comfortable and reassuring path, you won't find it here. Don't get me wrong. I want you to keep reading. But I want to be up front and let you know that there won't be a lot of free bread. All right, I'm just going to use this. I mean, does that resonate with you? Do we come to church... Okay, let me just preface what I'm about to say. What, this whole entire sermon. Let me preface it by saying this. I am, I am not trying to be judgy here. I mean, if I come across as judgy, I, I have not done my job properly. But please understand me that, that I am one of the people that we are talking to today. But I wonder sometimes if we just come to church... To see Christ, or do we just come looking for a little bit of free bread? All too often I find I find myself in that second category. And and what I want us to ask ourselves this question: if, if you want to boil this whole entire sermon down into one phrase, one idea, it's just this. Is Jesus Jesus? Is He enough? All on his own full stop is Jesus enough or have we come have we come to this church today have, do we come to this church do we follow Jesus because we are seeking his person or are we seeking his performance that's what we want to talk about this morning and it's really what John chapter 6 is all about so if you have your Bibles, I would just encourage you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 6 with me, and we're going to look at it together. Before we get to John chapter 6, uh, would you pray with me? Our God and Heavenly Father, this morning we want to take a very hard look at ourselves. And... uh, it's going to be a little bit bumpy it's going to be a little it's going to be a little uncomfortable um but it's necessary and the end result is something beautiful something wonderful and so father i pray that you would help us to to just be honest with ourselves and 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 honest with you to give ourselves a fair evaluation of where we are we pray this in jesus name amen just as we were praying uh the lord brought something to mind and i mean this is forever etched in my memory um Sometimes I was, when I was young, I was lucky enough to, to ride in uh, my dad's logging truck with him to go on a load, to get some logs, go, uh, you know, go to the bush, go back to the mill. And there were some treacherous roads, terribly. In the summer, they were bumpy and, and, you know, and muddy and, and all these sorts of things or whatever. I can remember going on some roads. Dad had this, uh, in some of his later Peterbilt's, Peterbilt's are the best. Uh in some of his later Peterbilts he had this thing called the air chair. I'm sure some of you know it or whatever, but so he would be he would be uh just sitting pretty in his chair. He'd be zooming along and and he would be bouncing up and down in this chair and just loving life and I'm on this bench seat and hitting the ceiling every time he hits a bump or whatever. And it was bumpy and it was uncomfortable and all oh, it was all these things but it was it was awesome because I was with my dad. And that's sometimes the way it is with our relationship with the Lord Jesus. Sometimes it's bumpy. And sometimes it's hard and, and uncomfortable. But isn't it worth it? Isn't it worth it to be with our Father? Our, our Father. John chapter 6 is a long chapter, and, and we need to get all the way to the end, so um, we're not going to belabor that anymore. This is the longest chapter, one of the longest chapters in the entire Bible. It's definitely the longest chapter in the, in the Gospel of John. Uh, and, and as we have said, as I alluded to at the very beginning with the story about Ben, this chapter starts in the first 14 verses with the, the feeding of the 5,000. It is a, uh, a story that we're all familiar with. If you've ever gone to Sunday school, even if you haven't gone to Sunday school, everyone's heard about the feeding of the 5,000. And um, it was a tremendous miracle. I mean, you know, we were debating last night at home, you know, there's always a debate there were even more than five thousand people there, probably wives and, and children and, and probably double or maybe even twenty thousand or, or it doesn't matter. Who cares how many people were there? Even if there was a hundred people there and feeding five loaves and two fish, that's awesome. I mean I digress. Um it's just It's important that we have, well, John chapter 6, we have to start with the feeding of the 5,000 because everything that happens after in John chapter 6 is because of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Everything that happens is is precipitous of of what happened when Jesus took those five loaves and those two fish and fed 5,000 plus, okay? So that's what happens in the first... 14 verses of the chapter and we aren't we aren't going to take the time to read it if you want to take some time this week and your quiet time to read it i would say go ahead and do that what we want to do though um, is is to focus on what happens after the miracle um, an interesting fact about this this miracle the feeding of the five thousand, is it's recorded in matthew mark luke and john However, everything that happens after that we're going to talk about today in John, for the rest of the chapter, John is the only one who records this, th- that part. He records the aftermath of the miracle. The, the, other, pro, uh, the other gospel writers don't do that. Um, what we want to focus on is a whole other story that relates to the miracle, and John, as I said, only records it. Um, what we want to focus on starts in in verse 22. Now, you will notice that the feeding of the 5,000 happens in verses 1 to 14, and then from 15 to 21, there's kind of like this segue, uh, and and it John just kind of tells the story, and there's some pretty awesome miracles that happen in those six verses as well. You know, Jesus walks in the water. He stills the storm. He actually transports them miraculously from the middle of the Sea of Galilee to the shores of Capernaum, um, all in, in six verses. I mean, pretty miraculous things that are happening, and, and we're not even going to look at those things, uh, because what we want to see is starts in verse 22. After the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, John tells us that evening sets. Disciples get into a boat. They're rolling on their way back to Capernaum, the northern coast of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus isn't with them. The storm comes up. They get scared. Jesus comes walking on the water. He stills the storm. He takes them back to Capernaum miraculously. And that's how they get back there. Now take a look at verse 22. Here's what it says. John chapter 6, verse 22, On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat and his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks, and so when, G- when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and they went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered them, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. When the Son of Man will give to you, which the Son of Man will give to you? For on him God the Father has set his seal. And then he said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered him, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And so they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? And our fathers ate the man in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread of heaven, but my father gives you the true bread of heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, Give us this bread. So this is the part that only John records, okay? The 5,000, they wake up the next morning, they're hungry again, and they're wondering where Jesus is. Or maybe, maybe they're just wondering what's on the menu. Uh, They, and I mean, through a sequence of events, they find Jesus in Capernaum. And they essentially just ask him this one question they say how long have you been here why didn't you tell us you're leaving and and Jesus basically just answers them and I'm I'm paraphrasing here but he basically just says you do not seek me for me you are seeking me for you and there is a big difference there You're seeking me because I filled your belly with food. And now you're hungry again, so you've come to find another meal. So what Jesus is ultimately pointing out is this, that their obligation or their objective, their motivation was not to seek Jesus for who he was, his person, not to seek Jesus for Jesus. Their motivation was to seek Jesus for what he could give them. Their passion for Jesus was something physical, but Jesus' passion for them was something spiritual. and, And therein lies the difference. Because they were so focused on their physical demands, they weren't interested in spiritual truth. And what we find, sadly, in this chapter is this slow progression. It's very interesting. As you go through this chapter, what you're going to see is these people spiraling away from Jesus. Because they start out, you know, really well. Look at verse 24. I think we read it. Verse 24, it says this. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they went themselves uh, they themselves got into the boats and they went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. Okay, so uh, let's just start there. That's that's the start for them. But what you're going to see, and I put it up on the uh, on the uh, on the screen, is here's here's why they spiraled away. Okay, here here's the premise for. Basically, or the or the big problem, I guess, it was this: they didn't get from Jesus what they wanted, and they didn't want what Jesus uh, they didn't want from Jesus what he offered. That was the reason why they spiraled away, because everything was surface, everything was physical, everything was was just skin deep, really. Their relationship, or their hold, or their or their connection to Jesus was so tenuous that they spiraled away, and and we can see it in this chapter. And I'll just point it out to you really quickly. They be they started out as seekers, and then later on in verse uh, forty one, in verse forty one, what you're going to see is not. Not that they, they started out as seekers in verse 41, it says, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. So they go from seeking to complaining. And then a little bit later on um, in verse, uh, what's the next one read? Thanks, buddy. Verse 52. In verse 52, what you're going to see is, then the Jews then disputed amongst themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So they went from being seekers to complainers to quarrelers. And then look at verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So they go in the span of a a day or so really in a very short amount of time they go from being seekers to complainers to to arguing to to quarreling and then ultimately to deserting and the reason why was because they didn't get from Jesus what they wanted and they weren't interested in getting from Jesus what he offered that's the difference and that's what we're going to see. There's a downward progression here. And so uh, just as we go through in, in the last few minutes that we have here together, I just want to ask us some questions. Okay, I know that we've gone through this really quickly so far. But I just want to ask us some questions. I, instead of points uh, or, uh, you know, just things to remember, I, I want us to, to ask ourselves some really some really important questions, some questions to take home uh, as we go through the rest of this chapter. I want, I want you to ask yourself these questions. I want me to ask myself these questions. I want us all as a church to ask these questions because really this chapter is way, is about way more than just this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. As awesome as that was, what happens after is really important it's important information and we cannot overlook it we cannot be dazzled by the miracle or we can't just be you know disgusted by or just be excited about the miracle and disgusted about everything else we cannot do that it's important hopefully all of us here today are seekers of jesus i mean we want to see jesus don't we we want to know Jesus. We want to have a relationship with Jesus, but the reality is is there is a problem with us that can lead to this downward spiral that we see here in John chapter six, a spiral that takes us from being a seeker to a complainer, to a quarreler to a deserter. And so in order to, to stay that, in order to, to, to not let us get to that point, we need to ask ourselves some questions. So what I want us to do is just kind of look at some highlights of this story. Look at verse 28 again. Verse 28, we read it already. I'm going to read it again. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered him, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? That is not a misprint. This is 24 hours after he has fed thousands of people with two fish and five loaves of bread. And these people have the audacity to say, What sign do you do to be doing the works of God? What must we do to be doing the works of God? And then, What sign do you do that we may see and believe you? Are you joking? Are you kidding me? He fed thousands of people with these five loaves and two fish. What more could he possibly do? What more could they possibly want him to do in order to believe? Do we understand? Do they understand? Do we understand that God does not have to perform for us? That he is not a puppet on a string? This very question in verse 30 is insulting. What, what are you going to do? You know, what's, what's your encore performance going to be, Jesus? What are you going to do to bestow upon us so that we might actually believe in you. This is the way that these people were coming at Jesus. What, what have you done for us lately? Like today? I mean, yeah, that was really great yesterday, but, but what about today? Before we're too critical of these people that approach Jesus on the shores of Capernaum, Here's a challenging question for us. How many times has God worked in my life, but I didn't really stop and appreciate it because I was already looking for the next thing that he could do for me? You ever find yourself doing that? How quick are we to move on to the next thing without really appreciating what God has already done for us? Do I spend more time praying for something that I want than I do about praising God for what he's done or, or even for who he is? I mean, I can't tell you the number of times where I, I just I feel convicted now because I just I have my list and I just kind of th- slap it down on the table. I just present it and I just say, here you go, Lord, this is my list. And I really don't even stop to thank him for for when he does answer prayer. And even for when he doesn't answer the way I think that he should answer. Because it means that his best is better than my request. Sometimes I think we get in the habit of just this, just meet my needs, Lord. Lord. And, and it's okay that we say that because we use the word needs instead of wants do this do that or in other words you know what we're saying we're saying lord feed me again feed me do you see that do you do that i know i sure do and it, please don't Please don't misconstrue what I'm saying, because it is God says to bring our request to him. That's that's not what I'm saying. That is not a bad thing. We do need to to share our concerns and and the things that we need with the Lord Jesus. We do need to do that. But there has to be a balance, right? How about pausing? How about... How about I pause long enough to give him thanks for what he's already done, to praise him for who he is? Well, there's a continuing dialogue here. Verse 31. (laughs) Verse 31 says, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, it was not Moses. Who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread. So in this continuing dialogue, you know, these people they're not only questioning here, but now they're they're turning into something else. They're they're turning demanding. They say, Why don't you just give us this bread? He say you know our forefathers were fed by moses in the wilderness they god you know moses fed the manna and god says uh or jesus says that wasn't moses that was god the father who did that um and and then and then he goes on and he says and oh, oh by the way god has provided for you a better bread a better bread that is going to offer you more sustenance than that manna was in the wilderness for your forefathers. And so they're going, oh, that sounds good. Hey, give us some of that bread. Um, I don't know if John just didn't record it or, or if Jesus really was this patient. He probably was pretty patient. Um, but do you notice, you know, when... People are constantly not understanding what he is trying to say to them. He's speaking to them in spiritual terms, and they're thinking purely in natural, physical terms. And I mean, does this conversation not sound familiar to you? John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman? I mean, it was the same thing. He was talking about water here instead of bread in John chapter 4. And he's basically saying, I'm the living water to this woman at the well. If you have a relationship with me, I am going to quench the deepest thirst in your soul. That, that this well can only touch physically. I am going to give you something completely different. And, and the Samaritan woman said, well, give me some of this living water. So that I don't have to come back to this well again. She didn't get it. I mean, ultimately she did, and, and, and her life was changed. But the same thing is happening here in John chapter 6. In this other conversation, the people aren't getting it. They're, they're, we're hungry, Jesus. We want bread. We've shown up here. We've come ashore, and we would like you to give us some bread. How about some bread? Hey, I've got a good idea. Give me some bread. And Jesus says, you don't don't understand, I have bread for you that's come down from heaven. Because if you have a relationship with me, it is going to satisfy the deepest hunger of your heart. And you are never going to hunger again when you know me because I'm going to satisfy your soul. But their only response is, why don't you just give us the bread? Stop talking about it, Jesus, and give me the bread. Look at his response in verse 35. Jesus said, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. that he has given me but raise it up on the last day for this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day so the Jews grumbled about him because he said I am the bread that came down from heaven (laughs) so back in verse 14 we didn't read it but just take my word for it back in verse 14 these people these people that are talking here in John chapter 6 are marveling at Jesus. I mean, he has just fed 5,000 people, and they are amazed. They just can't get enough. They can't believe that Jesus did all this. And now, you see the progression? Marveling, seeking, complaining, grumbling. Now, they're redu- they, now they have reduced him to something else. Look, take a look at, at the next verse in that passage. Verse 41 says, So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Okay, so in verse 14, they're ready to anoint him as the next king. And now... They're saying, don't we know this guy? I mean, he's just the son of Joseph, right? You, you see the way they have diminished who he is in their eyes? Do you know why that is? Because he didn't do what they wanted. Because he didn't perform for them. They've reduced him to being, to, to being one of the prophets to being the one that they want to be their Messiah, they have reduced him to being... Hey, isn't he a Galilean? Isn't he one of us? Isn't he, you know, Joseph down the road? He's, he's Joseph's boy, right? And they're complaining about him. Who does he think he is? I'm the bread of life. What does that even mean? So here's another question for you. And I would say it this way. Is Jesus still Lord of all to me even when he doesn't do all that i want is jesus still lord of all to me even when he doesn't do all that i want and that's an important question to ask because that has to do with lordship is jesus only the lord when he does what i want when he fills my belly When he meets my need? Or is he Lord all the time because of who he is? And so they have gone from being seekers to complainers. Verse 43, uh, verse 42 (coughs) and verse 43. Well, verse 43, sorry. Jesus answered him and said, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one... Can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God and everyone who has heard and and learned from the Lord comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the father except he who is from God. He has seen the father truly, truly. I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. But the bread I will give to the life, but the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And then here's the next progression, verse 52. The Jews then disputed amongst themselves, saying, how can this man give us flesh to eat? Still, they're not understanding. Still, they're going, and I mean, there's a lot here that we're just reading, we're trying to get to the end of the chapter. There's a lot here that we, we just don't have the time to cover but the people they didn't understand what Jesus was saying. I mean, he wasn't being literal. He wasn't saying you need to eat my flesh. He wasn't into cannibalism. I mean, Jesus says in other parts if you sin, you you know, cut off your hand or pluck out your eye. He's not being literal. We would all look like pirates if if we were if if if, if that were the case. We know that that's not true. Jesus was using extreme terminology to com- to communicate an extreme point. He wasn't being literal. We know that Jesus isn't being literal because of what he says next. Look at verse 60. Verse 60 says, When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that these disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do Do you take offense at this? Then what if you... Were to see the Son of Man ascending to where we, He was before. It is the Spirit who gives life; the flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are Spirit and life. But the, there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one else can come to me unless it was granted to him by the Father. And after this, here's the last progression, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus here, he's saying, the words that I spoke to your spirit, they have spiritual meanings. And, and he, essentially, if I can just kind of summarize what Jesus is saying here, is he saying you need to be all in with me. There's there's no halfway here. There's no going in, there's no being a partial believer, a partial follower. You are either fully invested or you're not you're not invested at all. He's either fully lord or he's not at all your lord. You have to consume me And be consumed with me, because Jesus offered his all for us. I mean, think about it. He gave everything that he had. He gave his entire life on a cross for you. And so is it not, does it not make sense that he wants the same from us? He wants nothing less from us than all of us. Complete, not partial surrender. Surrender. And so here's a question that I have to ask you. Do I pursue Jesus for who he is or only for what he can give me? And along those same lines, do I draw near to him to seek his face or am I seeking just his hand? There's a big difference there. And I mean, in other words, do I I want a relationship because... Because I want to behold him or because I want to see what he can do for me. I have my demands. Here's my list, God. Check the boxes, please. There's just so much more that we could say about this chapter, but we need to get to the the end of it. And the end of it is, well, verse 66 is incredibly sad. Verse 67 to the end is, is kind of like the happy ending. Uh, Jesus has a, another conversation. I mean, this whole book is, is made up of conversations with Jesus. Jesus turns to the 12, the ones that he selected, and here's what he says. Verse 70, uh, 67, So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? And he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So Jesus turns to these 12 people, these 12 men that he has spent all the bulk of his time with, and he says, hey, do you want to go away too? As he's watching these people walk away. And I just love what what Peter says here. I'm paraphrasing again, but, but he basically says, where, Lord, where should we go? Where else would we want to be? You are the only one, God. You are everything. You are our hope. You are our joy. You are our peace. You are our salvation. There is no one else, Jesus. There is nowhere else for us to go. There is nowhere else that we would rather be. And then, and then. And then he says, and on top of that, we believe that you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. You have the words of eternal life. There is no one else. Can I be so bold as to say that that is exactly the place that each and every one of us has to get to? That has to be the foundation. I mean everything else the blessings and the benefits and, and everything y- yeah that's all still there but but we need to just toss that aside for a second we just need to say you are the Christ Jesus you are the one you are the living god you have the words of salvation you are the hope the joy You are the peace. You are eternal life. So I guess the last question, we're going to circle around two more questions. Here's the first one. Am I convinced that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God? And don't skip over that. Ask yourself that question. Are you convinced? Because if you're not, That's a big issue. That's a big problem. But if you are, if you are convinced, then the last question is the question that we asked at the beginning. Is he enough? Is he enough? Because just sometimes you're going to be riding around in a big old Peterbilt and you're going to be bouncing around and bumping your head. And it's going to be uncomfortable and it's going to be... It's not going to be always easy. But you're going to be with your Father. And isn't that enough? We don't want to be like the people that got fed that free bread. We don't want to be the people that, that sought Jesus, that, that seeked him, and then they just kind of progressed away. They complained, and they argued, and they ultimately deserted. We don't want to be those people. I want the West End Community Church to be the people that are convinced that Jesus is who he says he is. Full stop, that's enough. He is enough. God said in uh, Isaiah chapter 45, verse 5, this He said, I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no other God besides me, says the Lord. Is He enough for you? And are you fully in? Corey Tenboom once said this you will never know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have i pray that that would be my story i pray that that would be your story i pray that that would be our story as a church amen heavenly father man it's good to be here and uh and i just pray that that these truths would would resonate with each and every one of us that we would hear your truth and we would hear your voice that voice that just tells us that maybe there are a few things that are that are preventing us from from fully committing there are some things that some barriers that are getting in the way of a, our relationship with you. Father, I pray that we would remove those things and that we would just be fully committed. You are a good God. And I thank you for your patience with us as we learn. And uh, Lord, just help us to have a great week applying these truths. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.